0: grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader, Manager, Coach. Welcome to the podcast. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another program. And today I want to talk about a couple of things that I've been doing some reading about this week that have really resonated with me and I wanted to share them. They are specifically related to Uh, Skill acquisition and specifically a real, real fundamental of great players in the game of football. So it's it's about skill acquisition. So it's relevant to everybody because it's a universal. There's a couple of universal principles or it's a universal principle. There's two I want to talk about. Actually, there are two principles. There are two facets. There are two tools. And we'll, we'll call them tools if you like, because you can use them at will. And you can use them to acquire any skill. You can use them to help you acquire any skill. And the specific skill I want to talk about, it'll be great for demonstration purposes because it'll just demonstrate an aspect, um, because we'll have an example to work with. But uh, the reading I've been doing was, and I want to pay credit to Training Ground Guru, it's, it's an excellent website. They produce some excellent articles, short articles, with some real high-quality content, and give you an, an insight into a lot of different facets of the game. They're very up-to-date. They're very, very, very up-to-speed with what's going on, and they provide some real insightful information. And I do enjoy reading, and I can't recommend them highly enough. So it's the Training Ground Guru, if you're interested. And one of the things they talked about this week was... Uh, a skill that re- the the top players in our game, some of them the most influential players in our game, some of the greats. What skill or what particular skill they have that that separates them, that plays an enormous part in them being so good. And I'm not sure if you you're wondering what that is. Whether it's technical, and you know, is it their ability to pass the ball? Is it their successful pass completion rate? Is it the number of goals they score? Is it assists? Is it their support play? Is it a social or psychological element of the effect they have on the team? Well, actually, it's their ability to perceive and their ability to scan and their ability to know what's going on around them. Now, this skill is obviously applicable to all sports, really. Because we have to have a perception of what's going on in order to analyze that perception and then make a decision. So if we break it down, we perceive a situation that goes through our nervous system, through our brain, where we make those micro decisions in nanoseconds and then we execute. And as we all know, that happens phenomenally quickly. It almost happens quicker than we believe it can happen if you read the research around how a batsman reacts to a fast bowler the amount of time it takes from that when the ball leaves the bowler's hand to when it contacts the batsman's bat is not enough time for that batsman to actually react and create the the reaction or or to, to put in place the actions that he does so therefore there is something else going on and that is probably highly related to perceptual skill of what the batsman can work out through his knowledge, through his experience of the way the bowler is moving and what is going to happen. But this perceptual skill, I'm talking about football and the article in, in particular, um, focused, it focused on a comment or a number of comments by Arsene Wenger, the, um, Infamous Arsenal manager who reigned over the, the Arsenal team for, for so many years and created a number of great teams in his, in his time there. Certainly teams that were very, very, uh, very, very fluent and played some wonderful football in their times. And his comment was that we learn as players or young players learn or we as coaches, we teach young players the wrong way around. Because he said that we teach them to become excellent at executing. So we teach them how to pass, how to shoot, how to head, how to control, how to do a turn, how to do a Cruyff turn, how to do this turn, how to do that, how to combine. So we teach them technical skills to execute. Then we kind of think about, oh, I'll tell you what I need to do as a coach. I need to teach them how to make decisions. So then we coach them in Small-sided game situations in phases of play, in in in, in small practices, in, you know, functional practices. Or then we go on to coach them in eleven v eleven as we develop into into older age groups. And we we often coach and stop practices and and, and encourage and educate on what is the best decision. And we are dealing with if you're working in the professional game, you'll be working with some quite highly technically proficient players. If you're working in the grassroots game, you, you, you may not have that exact same level of technical skill, but you will certainly, and in, in highly likely, you will be looking at helping players as a coach to make better decisions. And then how many of us can, can hand on heart say that we then kind of just go, we touch on time to time within this decision-making educational process, teach players how to perceive... Um, Do you know what's going on around you? Can you tell what's over your shoulder? Do you know where your centre forward is? Do you know where your right-sided midfield player is? Are you aware? Now, I will fundamentally say, and again, hand on heart, say that that represents how I've coached for most of my career as a coach. And I, I have definitely focused, because that's what I was taught, on helping players to become proficient and excellent and masters of the technical skill and i can relate to this i hope you can too think think of your club think of your players think of your group think of your team you know and and if it's not football just extrapolate it into your into your sport if it's not football if it's not a sport extrapolate it into your environment and how many times and how many people have you got youngsters who look up to you as their leader as their mentor look at you and you you know that they're quite good technically they're technically proficient at a particular skill or generally they're very good at what they do in terms of their execution but we maybe want to get them better at what they do we maybe want to improve performance in whichever field that is and when we coach them, when we educate them, when we help them, when when we mentor them, we often as a as a an older person, if I can use that word, or a more experienced person, because that's what often coaches are or mentors are or leaders are. We have more experience, we've got more life skills that we've developed, we've seen more, we've got more pictures, we've got more experiences. So we kind of know what may happen next is that you then sit down and and, and have a conversation, and it might be in a coaching. Environment. It might be in a one-to-one, or it could be actually on the field of play where you talk to that person about. Well, maybe if you'd have considered this, this is the best, the better decision. And then we go on from there, and we talk about well, the way you find out, and the way you know, and the way you understand that that's a better decision is is because of take a step back, if you can look, if you can survey, if you can perceive, you will see that X Y Z is there instead of just X or xyz and d or whatever it is you want to describe or these facets and that person and they're they're here and they're there and this is the situation so this would have been the better decision and they are often and try and re- maybe you can relate to this in yours in your coaching on your field of play in your basketball court in your arena in your business room in your boardroom do we concentrate so much on the doing, the technicalities that we we just pay a kind of little bit of, a little bit of, you know, oh, okay, it's about the perception. Can you not see that this is right? And, you know, we can't change that in, in, in one second, in one input, in, in one interaction. As Arsene Wenger quite clearly points out, he has a point, in my opinion, that actually we kind of leave this perceptual thing to the last minute and then expect people to be brilliant at it. Well, you know, if, you, if, if we believe that it takes years and years and years and hours and hours and hours to understand and, and, and master and perfect a skill, then this is something that we, we as coaches, particularly in sport, particularly in football, we need to be coaching this and we, we need to be looking at this from an early age. And it's really interesting when, when, he, when you go on and, and read through the article and parts of the article that he wrote, and, and around the subject and it, and it appears that the, the great players the really good players the people who are, who are who are at the top of their profession in football scan many many times some of them are, are scanning you know more than more than you can actually believe they, they scan six to eight times in every 10 second period so every 10 second that elapses they've taken a look round they've checked their shoulder they've checked right they've checked left. They've looked where their players are and they have a picture in their head of what happens so that when, and this is the probably for me the key thing, when that ball is coming to them and or when they get possession, they already know what it is the best thing to do. So they know that they can, let's take a real simple example, they've scanned, they understand that their centre forward is now between the full back and the centre half. They are a central midfield player and they've scanned four times and they know that the person who's closest to them is 10 metres away approximately and that their centre forward, the last time they looked half a second ago, was between the centre forward, the the centre half and the fullback. And that ball then comes to them. They know that they can take take a no-touch turn. They will have time then and before they've even had to think about it, they can play a ball for their centre forward to run onto that is highly likely to break two lines, the the, mid, the, the opposition's midfield line, the opposition's back line, and get their centre forward in. Now, that pass may well be a technically easy thing to do. It's probably something that even I, as a 50-year-old, 53-year-old, with somebody who's never been technically good enough, who's never played professional football, it's probably or possibly a pass that even I could execute because it might be inside of the foot between two players with the, the, the correct weight on it. It's possibly something that you or I could do, even if we, if we aren't technically masters of that. But the actual key, cutting edge, critical thing is the picture that that player had in their head before they executed that pass. And that is what Wenger is talking about. That's what the article talks about. And it really goes into some, some, some good detail about how that scanning is so important. And there are some great figures in the article. Um, there's um, a guy called Gir Jorde from Norway who apparently is, is recognised as a real authority on scanning. And it, it appears that he's, he's got a master's in the, in the subject And he he really does understand the elite performance role in terms of scanning perceptual ability. And from his research, he's found out that some of the the best players in the world are scanning 0.83 searches per second. So Barcelona's Xavi scans 0.83 times per second. Frank Lampard, who is one of the top Scanners, according to the research, who, who was filmed in the research and who was part of this process, he is high up there with over 0.6 searches per second. And that is what gives them these pictures. And there's a great story of Frank Lampard Sr., who during the young Frank's learning process as an academy player or as a young player at West Ham and then on to Chelsea where he was constantly heard to be saying to his son pictures, 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 pictures and he was reminding, reminding, reminding that that his son that actually Yes, technically, you've got to be good. Yes, you've got to be able to make good decisions and execute what it is you need to do. But before you can do that, if you want to make great decisions, if you want to create goal threat, if you want to impact the game, you have to know what the pictures are. And this article for me brought it home that this is a skill that we are not yet focusing on enough. And I think there's a great deal of, a great deal of value in taking time to actually look deeper into this. And um, yeah, if you want to take a deep dive into it there, that there, there's lots to go at. And I'm sure we're in the early stages of this, but scans pictures, teaching players to play with their head up, lots of practices you, you can do to get people to know what pictures are. And you will be shocked if it's anything, if your practices are anything like ours or anything like mine, you will be shocked at the, the poverty, if you like, of, of, of often some of the players of what they they can do when or they can't do when they're asked to know what a pitcher is in front of them because it's something that they've not been taught, they're not comfortable with and they're focused on the ball because young players get focused on the ball, don't they? They follow the ball and it, it's a difficult thing to get them to understand where's your position on the pitch and it's not important where the ball is totally. Yes, it's important that you're relative to that ball but also you need to know what the pictures are around you. And if you can teach them that and get the penny to drop with that, you will play an enormous role, in my opinion, in helping them to become much, much better players. Something worth looking at. Moving on from that, then we're talking about helping people to develop a skill or a skill acquisition process. And again, I'm going to pay credit to the guy who's who's reminded me of this. Again, it's Brian Johnson. And um, Brian Johnson on um, his Entheos website, he talks about something called the audience effect. And essentially, it's basically this. It's basically that if you are asked to perform an activity, doesn't matter what that activity is, if you are asked to perform that activity, you will go and do and you will do do it at a level that you can do or you're comfortable with. In the second scenario, put yourself in this scenario, you are asked to go out and perform an activity. And you turn up to do this activity and it might be something that you do every single day. It might be something that you do so often that you don't even think about it. It's totally unconscious and you just get on with it. And the second time you turn up, there are 50 people seated around to watch you do that activity. According to the research, it's an absolute nailed uncertainty that your performance, when you are being watched and observed, will be better than when you do it unobserved. And that, in terms of psychology, is is called the audience effect. And apparently in our brains, we have a couple of little parts in in our brains which interpret what the attention of other people around us means to us. And that attention pushes us to perform better because we want, we desire... A positive reaction from those who, who who are watching us. So, because of that desire for that positive attention, those parts in our brain push us to do or perform better than if we did it unobserved. So, what's the what's the what's the key takeaway from this? The key takeaway of this is is that create environments in your coaching, create environments in your leadership, whereby you observe people. People are observed and they will may, maybe get recorded. Anson Dorrance used to stick up a league table every single week of certain practices that his players engaged in as a ritual. And it was observed by everybody and everybody knew where everybody else was. And the effect of that, it's a great book. Anson Dorrance writes some great stuff. He He's a very eminent coach. We've done a podcast about him. I strongly urge you go and, and read about it. Listen to the podcast, go and find out about him because he's done some great stuff and he's well worth following. He, just by actually doing that, observing, getting his, your contemporaries, your other players to watch what goes on, people's performances go up. And basically, as coaches, we're after people's performances going up. So, you know, if we use that, we create a culture where people get observed and people, things get recorded, people's performances will be higher. So you know that's what the accountability stuff works on. If you join a, an online group or you join a society or you're part of a a club, then your performances in that particular arena are likely to be higher because of the accountability factor that Johnson terms the the audience effect, and it's well worth utilising as a skill acquisition thing just to put into your put into your your coaching practice if you like or your leadership and your management. And the last thing, again, we've talked about this, we've talked about this before, we've talked about it quite a lot actually when we talk about deep work and we talk about focus and we talk about using our minds effectively and we talk about how we maybe need to have a little look at how much we engage in IT and how much we have our smartphones out and how much time we actually spend In in inefficient ways, not efficient ways, inefficient ways where we just look at our smartphones because we're bored or we look at our computers because we're bored and we go on little trips and we go down this road, maybe it's social media and actually what we set out to do, we didn't do because we went and we got sidetracked and Brian Johnson reminds us and he reminds me, and this is something I've known for, I don't know, 30 odd Thirty odd years, I heard about it before, and at times I've used it, and it's something that comes and goes, isn't it? We we all we all have things like this. But he talks about mantras, m a n t r a, a mantra. Now, as some of you will have heard, the etymology of words, the meaning of words, is something that I'm I'm quite interested in for some strange reason. And mantra is apparently has a Sanskrit origin, and actually it means a tool of the mind, which is quite interesting. And if you do know what a mantra is, that's fine. If you don't know what a mantra is, a mantra is a a repetition of a word or a statement which you just repeat to yourself over and over and over again. And it's something that is strongly believed and a lot of the research points to it that it has a real positive effect on your on your skill set because it affects your state of mind. If you are constantly anxious and you're constantly worried and you constantly say to yourself, I'm scared, I'm frightened, I can't do this, um, I'm going to fail, then that will have that effect on you and your performance will be where it is. If you are, ask ask anybody, any great people, any people who've achieved high achievers in their field, no matter what field, if they used positive self-talk, they will probably tell you to a man and a woman that they did. In whatever form that was. I am great. I am strong. I am focused. I am courageous. I am brave. I am present. I am strong. I am resilient. I am a great scanner. Whatever it is. I am a great technician. I am aware. I have awareness. However you phrase that. They do say that the I am technique where you say I am and then and then the description of what it is where where, I am a great scanner I am aware I am a great passer of the ball I am a great communicator I am brave I am courageous I am strong I am resilient I am aware whatever it is that you feel you think you consider that you need to get into your practice so that you become incrementally better at what it is Try and use that. And Johnson talks about instead of reaching for our smartphone when we're bored and looking at social media and Facebook and Twitter and whatever it is, reach for the mantra and embrace a little bit of boredom, embrace a little bit of downtime and reach for that mantra and use that mantra, whatever it is, whether it's one thing or two things or 10 things that you feel you need to improve upon, use that as an incremental baby step Kaizen process, you know, daily little, little tiny daily improvements, the process of Kaizen, getting that into your life because it may just be that extra 0.25% like Dale, Dave Brailsford talked about with the Sky Cycling team that makes all the difference because we need to utilize every single little thing. And if we can use that, this tool of our mind, it will help us to focus. And he talks about using the mantras in calm weather. So when we are just going about our daily business, we may not be doing anything that seems particularly important. We're not under stress. We're not under pressure. It's not a game situation. It's not a meeting situation. We we, we can use that mantra. We can do it when we're driving. We can do it when we're doing simple things like we're doing our self-care or we're washing up or whatever that is. And... It can have that positive effect of, of stabilising your mindset so that when you get into that pressure, pressure situation, when you get into that game, when you get into that training session, when it gets tough, when you feel you're up against it, when it feels like it's uphill, when you cannot kind of get on track, that mantra will come to your aid and be your default setting. If you try to do that just when you are under the cost, just when you're under the pressure, that's like you know you, you, the kind of thing where we don't go to church or we haven't got a faith or we we we, we don't have a, a, a religious belief or whatever it is that, that sustains you. And then as soon as something goes wrong, you start crying out for help, saying "Help me, help me, help me," and we have done nothing to prepare us. We've done no pre-paving. We've done nothing. We've done no groundwork. We've got no foundation because we we haven't felt it necessary we've just ridden the wave of life and we haven't prepared ourselves in that way when it was calm when everything was cool when it was all downtime and we had that time i suppose the principle is the same as we if we don't save money out of our salaries out of our wages out of the wealth that we create um when we hit hard times then we'll have nothing to fall back on so it's a little bit like that principle isn't it if we put the time in and we put the little bits of effort in here there and everywhere Whenever we can, they will all add up and incrementally help us on towards our goal. So another little tool to use, a mantra, and another reminder for us from um, some of Brian Johnson's great work. So just thought I'd share those those things with you. Great skill acquisition information from the the, the training ground guru in terms of scanning and um, and how to do that with with u- utilizing the the effect of an audience and, and utilizing the effect of a mantra if we want. To specifically focus us, focus us on what it is that we want to achieve. So, w- whatever it is that you're into, I hope you can get something out of that. I hope you can utilize it, whether that's from a personal point of view or you can use it with your with your players and your team and um, get some get some great improvements in your in your professional and your maybe your personal life too. All right, listen, it's great to share. It's Rob Riles, it's leader, manager, coach. As always, appreciate you uh, tuning in and share the message. We try and help people along their way and um, we'll catch you again. All right, great to speak. Bye-bye.